Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Are you ready to finish Coraline? Yeah? You ready to finish Coraline? You have your hot chocolate right next to you if you want it. Okay. Chapter 9. Coraline. Outside, the world had become formless, swirling a mist with no shapes or shadows behind it, while the house itself seemed to have twisted and stretched. It seemed to Coraline that it was crouching and starting staring down at her as if it were not really a house, but the idea of a house and the person who had had the idea, she was certain was not a good person. There were sticky web stuff clinging to her arm and she wiped it off as best as she could. The gray windows of the house slanted in strange angles. The other mother was waiting for her, standing outside in the grass with her arms folded. Her black button eyes were expressionless, but her lips pressed tightly together in a cold fury. When she saw Coraline, she reached out with one long hand, and she crooked a finger. Coraline walked walked towards her. The other mother said nothing. I got two, said Coraline. One still, still to go. The expression in the other mother's face did not change. She might not have heard what Coraline said. Well, I just thought you want to know, Coraline said. Thank you, Coraline, said the other mother coldly. Her voice did not just come from her mouth. It came from the mist and the fog and the house and the sky. She said, you know that I love you. And despite herself, Coraline nodded. It was true. The other mother had loved her. But she loved Coraline as a mere love, as a miser, I don't know what that word is. A miser loves money. Or a dragon loves its gold. In the other mother's button eyes, Coraline knew that she was a possession and nothing more. A tolerated pet whose behavior was no longer assuming. I don't want your love, said Coraline. I don't want anything from you. Not even a helping hand, said the other mother. You've been doing so well, after all. I thought you might want a little hint to keep the rest of your treasure hunt going. I'm doing fine on my own, said Coraline. Yes, said the other mother. But if you want to get to the flat in front of the empty one, to look around, you would find the locked door. And when, and then where would it be? Or then where would you be? Oh, Coraline pondered for a moment. Then she said, is there a key? The other mother mother stood in the, the other mother stood there in the paper gray fog of the flattening world. Her black hair drifted about her head as if it was as if it had a mind of its own and on pur- and a purpose of its own. She coughed suddenly in the black in the back of her throat she opened her mouth. The other mother reached in and removed the small brass front door key from her tongue. Here, she said, you'll need this to get in. She tossed the key casually towards Coraline, who caught it one handed before she could think about whether or not she wanted it. The key was still slightly damp. A chill wind blew about them, and Coraline shivered and looked away. When she looked away and looked back, the other mother was gone. Uncertainly, she walked around to the front of the house and stood at the front door of the empty flat. Like all the doors, it was painted bright green. She did not mean to yell. Or she did not mean you well. Whispered a ghost voice in her ear. We do not believe that she will help you. It must be a trick. Coraline said, "Yes, you're right. I expect." Then she put the key in her pocket, the key in the lock, and turned it. Silently, the door swung open, and silently, Coraline walked inside. The flat had walls of the color of old milk. The wooden boards and the floor were uncarpeted and the dusty marks and patterns of the carpet on the rug still were on them. There was no furniture in there, only places where furniture had once been. Nothing decorated the walls. There were discolored rectangles on the walls to show where paintings or photographs had once hung. It was so silent that Coraline imagined that she would hear the no- the notes or the motes 
of dusting or of dust drifting through the air. She found herself to be quite worried that something would jump out at her, so she began to whistle. She thought it might take make it harder for things to jump out at you if she was whistling. At first, she walked through <clears throat> the empty kitchen. Then she walked through the empty bathroom, containing only a cast iron bath. And in the, and in the bath, a dead cat, a dead spider the size of a cat. The last room she looked at, she supposed, once been a bedroom she could imagine as the rectangular dust shadow on the floorboard had once been a bed. Then she saw something and smiled grimly. Set into the floorboard was a large metal ring. Coraline knelt down and took the cold ring in her hand and she tugged it upwards as she could. Terribly slowly, stiffly, heavily, a hinged square floor lifted. It was a trap door. It lifted, and through the opening, Coraline could see only darkness. She reached down and found a cold switch. She flicked without much hope that it would work, but somewhere below the bolt, there was a bulb in it, and a thin yellow light came up from the dark hole door. A hole in the door. She could see steps leading down, but nothing else. Coraline put her hand in her pocket and took out the same hole, tick, and took out the stone with the hole in it. She looked through the cellar, but saw nothing. She put the stone back into her pocket. Up through the hole came a smell of damp clay and something else, an acrid tang like sour vinegar. Coraline let herself down into the hole, looking nervously at the trap door. It was so heavy that if it fell, she was sure she'd be trapped in the darkness forever. She put a hand up and touched it, but it stayed in position. And then she turned towards the darkness below and walked down the steps. Set into the wall at the bottom of the steps was another bright light switch, metal and rusting. She pushed it until it clicked down and the naked bulb hanging from a wire of the low ceiling came on. It did not give up enough, quite enough light for Coraline to make, Coraline to make out things that had been painted onto the flaking cellar walls. The paintings seemed crude. There were eyes, she could see that, and things that might have, have been grapes and other things below them. Coraline could not be sure that they were paintings of people. There was a pile of rubbish in the corner of the room, cardboard boxes filled with mildewed papers and decaying curtains and a heap beside them. Coraline's slippers crunched across the cement floor. The bad smell was worse now. She was ready to turn and leave when she saw the foot sticking out from beneath the pile of curtains. She took a deep breath. The smell of sour wine and moldy bread filled her head and she pulled away the damp cloth to reveal something more or less the size of or and shape of a person. In that dim light, it took her several seconds to recognize it for what it was. It was the one pale and swollen, and it looked like a grub with thin stick-like arms. It almost had no features on its face, which puffed and swollen, which was puffed and swollen like a risen bread dough. The thing had two large buttons where its eyes should have been. Coraline made a noise, a sound of revulsion and horror, and, as if it had heard her and awakened, the thing began to sit up. Coraline stood there, frozen. The thing turned its head until both of the black eyes pointed straight at her. A mouth opened in the mouthless, a mouth opened in the mouthless face, and strands of pale stuff sticking to its lip in the voice that had no longer even fainted resembled her father's voice. Coraline. Well, said Coraline to the thing, it had been her own father, or her other father. At least you don't jump out at me. The creature's twilight-like hands, oh, twig-like hands, moved to its face and pushed the pale clay about, making something like a noise. It said nothing. I'm looking for my parents, said Coraline, or a stolen soul from the other children. Are they down here? There's nothing down here, said the pale thing indistinctively. Nothing but dust and damp and forgetting. The things, the thing was white and huge and swollen, monstrous, thought Coraline, but also miserable. She raised the stone with the hole to her eye and looked through it. Nothing. The pale thing was telling her the truth. Poor thing, she said. I bet she made you come down here as a punishment for telling me too much. The thing hesitated and then nodded. Coraline wondered, but how she could ever have imagined this grub-like thing resembling her father. I'm so sorry, she said. She's not pleased, said the thing that was once her other father. 
not best pleased at all. You've put her in quite a f- out of sorts, and when she gets out of sorts, she takes it out on everybody else. It's her way. Coraline patted the hairless head. Its skin was tacky like warm bread dough. Poor thing, she said. You're just a thing she made and threw away. The thing nodded vigorously, and as it nodded, the left button eye fell off and clattered on the concrete floor. The thing looked around vacantly with one eye as if it had lost her. Finally, it saw her, and, if making a great effort, opened its mouth once more to say a word with an to say a wet, urgent voice, run, child, leave this place. She wants me to hurt you, to keep you here forever so that you can never finish the game and that she will win. She's pushing me so hard to hurt you. I cannot fight her. You can, said Coraline. Be brave. She looked around. The thing that had once been her other father was between her and the steps of the cellar. She started edging along the wall, heading towards the step. The thing twisted bonelessly until its one eye was again facing her. It seemed to get bigger, and now it was more awake. Alas, it said, I cannot, and it lunged across the cellar towards her, then its toothless mouth opened wide. Coraline had a single heartbeat in which to react. She could only think of two things to do. Either she could scream and try and run away and be chased around so badly in a badly lit cellar by a huge grub thing to be chased only to be caught, or she could do something else. So she did something else. As the thing reached her, Coraline put her hand and closed closed it around the thing's remaining eye, button eye, and tugged it as hard as she knew how. For a moment, nothing happened, and then the button came away and flew into her hand, clicking against the wall before it fell to the cellar floor. The thing froze in its place. It threw its pale head back blindly and opened its mouth horribly wide and roared as a ringer, as it, its anger and frustration. Then... All in a rush, the thing swept towards the place where the Cor- where Coraline had been standing. But Coraline was not standing here any longer. She was already tiptoeing as quietly as she could, up the steps that would take her away from the dim cellar with the crude paintings on the wall. She could not take her eyes from the floor beneath her, though from across the pale thing it flopped and writhed, hunting for her. Then, as if it was, if it, it was being told what to do, the creature stopped moving and... Its blind head tiptoed to one side. It's listening for me, thought Coraline. I must be extra quiet. She took another step up. Her foot slipped on the step and the thing heard her. Its head tipped towards her. For a moment, it swayed and seemed to be gathering its wits. Then, fast as a serpent, it slithered for the steps and began to flow up them. Towards her, Coraline turned away and ran wildly up the the last half dozen steps and pushed herself onto the floor of the dusty bedroom. Without pausing... She shut. She pulled the trap door towards her and let go of it. It crashed down with a thump, just as the large, the something large, banged against it. The trap door shook and rattled the floor, but it stayed where it was. Coraline took a deep breath. If there had been any furniture in that flat, even a chair, she would have pulled it over the trap door. But there was nothing. She walked out of the flat as fast as she could without actually ever running, and she locked the front door behind her. <clears throat> she left the key under the mat. Then she walked down to the next drive. She had half expected that the other mother would be standing there waiting for Coraline to come out, but the world was silent and empty. Coraline wanted to go home. She hugged herself and told herself that she was brave and that she must believe in herself, and she walked around to the side of the house in the gray mist that wasn't a mist, and she made herself made for the stairs and she made herself for the stairs to go up. Chapter 10. Hold on. I'm drinking some coffee because it's like 5 in the morning. Burp, burp. Okay. You have your hot chocolate over there? Do you? Okay. Chapter 10. Coraline walked up the stairs outside the building and to the topmost flat where, in her world, the crazy old man in the apartment lived. Oh, where in her world? Okay. She had gone up there with, up there once with her real, with her real mother. And when her mother was collecting for charity, they had stood at the open doorway waiting for the crazy old man with the big mustache to find an envelope that Coraline's mother had left. And the flat had smelled of strange foods and pipe tobacco 
an odd, sharp, cheesy smelling thing that Coraline could not name. She had not wanted to go any further inside than that. I'm an explorer, said Coraline out loud, but her words sounded muffled and dead in the misty air. She had made out of the cellar, hadn't she? But, and she had, but if there was one thing that Coraline was certain of, it was that this flat would be worse. She reached the top of the house. The topmost flat had once been in the attic of the house, but it was a long, it was long ago. She knocked on the green painted door. It swung open and she walked in. We have eyes, we have nerves, we have tails, we have teeth. You all get what you deserve, and then we rise from underneath, whispered a dozen or more tiny voices in the dark flat where with the roof was so low where it made the walls and Coraline could almost reach up and touch it. The red eyes stared at her. Little pink feet scurried away and came close. Darker shadows slipped through the darker shadows slipped through the shadows at the edge of things. It smelled worse in here than in the real crazy man up, upstairs flat. It smelled of food, unpleasant food in Coraline's mind, but she knew that it was a matter of taste. She did not like spices, herbs, or exotic things. This place smelled of all of ex- all exotic things in the world had been left to go out to go rotten. Little girl, he sa- said a rustling voice in the far room. Yes, Coraline said. I'm not frightened, she told herself, as she knew that she thought it, she knew it was true. If there was nothing that frightened her, and there was nothing that here that frightened her. These things, even the things in the cellar, were illusions. Things made by the other mother in a ghastly parody of the real people and real things on the other end of the corridor. She could not truly make anything, decided Coraline. She could only twist and copy and distort things that already existed. And then Coraline found herself wondering why the other mother would have placed the snow globe on the drawing room mantelpiece, for the mantelpiece in Coraline's world was quite bare. As soon as she had asked herself that question, she realized that there was actually an answer. Then the voice came again, and her her train of thought was interrupted. Come here, little girl. I know what you want, little girl. It was a rustling voice with a scream that was scratchy and dry it made Coraline think of some kind of enormous dead insect which was silly she knew how could a dead thing especially dead insects have a voice she uh, she walked through several rooms with low slanting ceilings until she came to the final room it was a bedroom the other the other crazy old man upstairs sat at the far end of the room and near in the near darkness bundled up his coat and hat as Coraline entered, he began to-, to talk. Nothing's changed, little girl, he said, his voice sounding like dry leaves that make that they make as they cross the pavement. And what if you do everything you swore you would? What then? Nothing's changed. You'll go home. You'll be bored. You'll be ignored. No one will listen to you. Not really listen to you. You're clever and too. You're too clever and too quiet for them to understand. They don't even get your name right. Stay here with us, said the voice from the figure at the end of the room. We will listen to you and play with you and laugh with you. Your other mother your other mother will build your whole world for you to explore and tear them down every night when you're done. Every day will be better and brighter than the one that went before. Remember the toy box? How much better a world would be if it was just like that and all for you? And will there be gray, wet days where I don't know what to do and there's nothing to read or watch and nowhere to go and the day drags on forever, asked Coraline. From the shadows of the man, he said, never. And there will be awful meals with foods made of recipes with garlic and tarragon and broad beans in, asked Coraline. Every meal will be a thing of joy, he whispered the voice from under the old man's hat. Nothing will pass your lips that does not entirely delight you. And could I have a day-glow green gloves to wear yellow Wellington boots in the shape of a frog, asked Coraline. Frogs, ducks, rhinos, octopuses, whatever you desire. The world will be built new for you every morning if you stay here. You can have whatever you want. Coraline sighed. You don't really understand, do you? She said. I don't want whatever I want. Nobody does. Nobody really. What kind of fun would it be if you just got everything you ever wanted? I and just like that it 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 didn't mean anything what then I don't understand said the whispery voice of course you don't understand she said raising the stone with the hole to her eye you're just a bad copy that she made of the crazy old man upstairs <laughs>
Not even that anymore, said the dead, whispery voice. There was a glow coming from the raincoat of the man's right chest through the hole of the stone glowing in the twink glow. The stone glowed, twinkled, and shone a blue white as any star. She wished she had a stick or something to poke him with. She had no wish to get any closer to the shadowy man at the end of the room. Coraline took a step closer to the man, and he fell apart. Black rats leapt from the sleeves and from under the coat and the hat. A score, a, mo- a score or more of them, red eyes shining in the dark. They chattered and fled. The coat fluttered fell, and fell heavily to the floor. The hat rolled into the corner of the room. Coraline reached out one hand and pulled the coat open. It was empty, though, although, the great, although it was greasy to the touch. There was no sign of the final glass marble in it. She scanned the room, squinting through the hole of the stone, and she caught sight of something that twinkled and burned like a star at the floor floor level by the door. It was being carried away by four paws of the largest black rat. As she looked, it slipped away. The other rats watched her from the corner of the room as she ran after it. Now, rats can run faster than people, especially over a short distance, but a large rat holding a marble in its two front paws was no match for a determined girl even if she was small for her age, moving in a run. Smaller black rats ran back and forth across her path, trying to distract her, but she ignored them, keeping her eyes fixed on the one marble who was heading straight for the flat upstairs, oh, for the flat towards the door. They reached the steps on the outside of the building. Coraline had came to had come to observe, oh, had time to observe that the house itself was continuing to change, becoming less distinct and flattening out. Even as she raced down the stairs, it reminded her of a photograph of a house, now not the thing of itself. Then she was simply racing pell-mell down the steps in a pursuit of the rat with no room in her mind left for anything else, certain she was gaining on it. She was running fast, too fast, she discovered, and came to the bottom of the flight stairs, and her foot skid and twisted, and she crashed into the concrete landing. Her left knee was scraped and skinned, and the palm of one hand she had thrown out to stop herself was a mess of a scraping grit. It hurt a little, and it would, she knew, hurt much more very soon. She picked the grit out of her palm and climbed to her feet as fast as she could, knowing that she had lost it, and it was already too late. She went down the final landing to the gravel. She looked around for the rat, but it was gone, and with the marble. Her hands stung where the skin had been scraped, and there was blood trickling down her ripped pajamas on her leg of her the leg from her knee it was as bad as the summer that her mother uh, that her mother had taken the training wheels off of Coraline's bicycle but then back then with all the cuts and scrapes her knee had left a scab on top of scabs she had the feeling that feeling of achievement and she was learning something doing something that she had not known how to do she felt nothing but cold and loss She had failed the ghost children. She had failed her parents. She failed herself, failed everything. She closed her eyes and wished that the earth would swallow her up. There was a cough. She opened her eyes and saw the rat. It was lying on the brick path at the bottom of the the stairs with a surprised look on its face, which was now several inches away from the rest of it. Its whiskers were stiff. Its eyes were wide and its teeth visible, yellow and sharp. A collar of wet blood glistened in its neck. Besides the decapitated rat, a smug expression on the face was a black cat. It rested one paw on the gray marble. I think I think I once mentioned, said the cat, that I don't like rats at the best of times. It looked like you needed this one, however. I hope that you don't mind I was getting myself involved. I think, said Coraline, trying to catch her breath, breath I think you may have said something of the sort. The cat lifted its paw from the marble, which rolled towards Coraline. She picked it up. In her mind, a final voice whispered her urgently. She has lied to you. She will never give you up now that she has you. She will no more give up any of us than change her nature. The hairs on the back of Coraline's neck pricked, and Coraline knew that the girl's voice had told the truth. She put the marbles in her dressing gown with the others. She had all three marbles now. All she needed to do was find her parents. And Coraline realized that with a surprise that that was a bit easy. She knew exactly where her parents were. As if she had stopped, as if she had stopped to think, she might have known where they were a long time. 
all oh sorry all along the other mother could not create she could not she could only transform and twist and change the mantelpiece in the drawing room back home was quite empty but knowing that she knew nothing something else as well the other mother she plans to break her promise she won't let us go said Coraline I wouldn't put it past her admitted the cat like I said there's no guarantee she'll play fair and then he raised his head hello do you see that what look behind you said the cat the house had flattened out even more no longer even looking like a photograph more like a drawing of a crude charcoal scribble of a house drawn on gray paper whatever is happening said Coraline thank you for helping me with the rat I suppose I'm almost there aren't I so go off into the mist or wherever you go and all well I hope I get to see you at home if she lets me go home the cat's fur was on end and its tail was bristling like a chimney sweep what's wrong asked Coraline they've gone said the cat they aren't there anymore the ways in and out of this place they just went flat is that bad the cat lowered its tail swishing from side to side angrily it made a low growling noise in the back of its throat it walked in a circle until it was facing away from Coraline, and then it began to walk backwards stiffly, one step at a time, until it was pushing up against Coraline's leg. She pat, put her hand down to stroke it, and she could feel how hard, it, how hard its heart was beating. It was trembling like a dead leaf in the storm. You'll be fine, said Coraline. Everything's going to be fine. I'll take you home. The cat said nothing. Come on, cat, said Coraline. She took a step towards the steps but the cat stayed where it was looking miserable and oddly much smaller if the only way out is past her Coraline said then that's the way we're gonna go she went back to the cat and bent down and picked it up the cat did not resist it seemed trem it simply trembled she supported its bottom with one hand and rested its front legs on her shoulder the cat was heavy but not too heavy to carry it licked the palm of her hand where the blood had been from the scrape that was swelling up Coraline walked up the stairs, one step at a time, heading back to her own flat. She was aware that the marbles in her pocket were clicking, aware of the stone with the hole in it, aware that the cat was pressing itself against her. She got to the front door, now just a small child's scraw of a door, and she pushed her hand against it, half expecting her hand would rip through it, revealing nothing behind the blackness and the scattering of the, of the stars. But the door swung open, and Coraline went through. Chapter 11. Once inside her flat, or rather the flat that was not hers, Coraline was pleased to see that it had not transformed into a creepy drawing like the rest of the house seemed to have become. It had depth and shadows, and someone who stood in the shadows waiting for Coraline to return. So you're back, said the other mother. She did not sound pleased, and you brought vermin with you. No, Coraline said. I brought a friend. She could feel the cat stiffening under her hands if it were, if, if, um, if as if it were anxious to get away. Coraline wanted to hold it like a teddy bear for reassurance, but she knew the cat hated to be squeezed, and she suspected that frightened cats were liable to bite and scratch if provoked in any way, even if they were on your side. You know I love you, said the other mother flatly. You have a very funny way of showing it, said Coraline. She walked down the hall and then turned into the drawing room, steady step by step, pretending that she could not feel the other mother's blank eyes on her back. The grandmother's formal furniture was there, and the painting on the wall of the strange fruit, but now the fruit of the painting had been eaten, and all that remained in the bowl was the browning core of an apple, several plum and peach stones, and the stem of what had formerly been the branch on the grape. The lion pawed at the raked carpet with its cloth, clawed foot, wooden feet, as if it were impatient for something. At the end of the room in the corner stood a wooden door, which had once, in another place, opened to the plain brick wall. Coraline tried not to stare at it. The window showed nothing but mist. This was it. Coraline knew it. The moment of truth. The, unra the unraveling time. The other mother had followed her in, and now she stood in the center of the room between Coraline and the mantelpiece and looked down at Coraline with black button eyes. It was funny, Coraline thought. The other mother did not look anything like her own mother. She wondered how she had ever been so deceived to imagine the resemblance. The other mother was huge, and her head almost brushed the ceiling, a very pale color of spider's belly. Her hair writhed and twisted and twined about her head, and her teeth were sharp as knives. Well, said the other mother sharply, where are they? Coraline leaned against the armchair and adjusted 
the cat with her left hand and put it in her right put her hand in her right pocket to pull the three glass marbles. They were frosted and gray as they clinked together in the palm of her hand. The other mother reached her white fingers for them, but Coraline slipped them back into her pocket. She knew it was true that then the other mother had no intentions of letting her keep letting her keep her word of keep letting her go or keeping her word it had been entertainment and nothing more hold on she said we aren't finished yet are we the other mother looked daggers the other mother looked daggers but she smiled sweetly nope she said i suppose not after all you still need to find your parents don't you Yes, Coraline said. I must not look at the mantelpiece, she thought, though I must not even think about it. Well then, said the other mother, produce them. Would you like Would you like to look in the cellar again? I have some other interesting things down there, you know. No, Coraline said. I know where my parents are. The cat was heavy in her arms, and she moved forward and un- unhooked its claws from her shoulder as she did. Where? It stands to reason, said Coraline. I've looked everywhere you'd hide them, and they aren't in this house. The other mother stood very still, giving nothing away, lips tightly closed. She she might have been a wax statue. Even her hair had stopped moving. So, Coraline continued with her hands around the black cat. I know where I know where they have to be. You've hidden them in a passageway between the house, haven't you? They're behind that door. She nodded her head towards the door in the corner. The other mother remained still as a statue, but a hint of a smile crept on her face. Oh, they are, are they? Why don't you open it, said Coraline. They'll be there, all right. It was her only way home, she knew, but it all depended on her mother's needing to gloat, needing not only to win, but to show that she had won. The other mother reached her hand slowly into her pocket to produce a black iron key, and the cat stirred uncomfortably in Coraline's arms as if it wanted to get down. Just stay there for a few moments longer, she thought at she thought at it, wondering if it could hear her. I'll get us both home. I, I said I would, I promise. She felt the cat relax ever so slightly in her arms. The other mother walked over the, to the door and pushed the key into the lock. She turned the key and heard, a me- heard the mechanism clunk heavily. She was already starting, already starting as quietly as she could, step by step, to back away from the mantelpiece. Oh, to back away towards the mantelpiece. The other mother pushed down the door handle and pulled it open, revealing the corridor behind it, dark and empty. There, she said, waving her hands at the at the corridor. The expression of delight on her face was a very bad thing to see. You're wrong. You don't you don't know where your parents are, do you? They aren't there. She turned and looked at Coraline. Now, she said, you're going to stay here forever and always. No, Coraline said I'm not. And as hard as she could, she threw the black cat towards the mother. It yowled and landed on the other mother's head, claws flailing and teeth bared, fierce and angry. Fur on end, it looked half it looked half again as big as it was in real life. Without waiting to see what would happen, Coraline reached up to the mantelpiece and closed her hands around the snow globe, pushing it deep into her pocket of her dressing gown. The cat made a deep yowl and sank its teeth into the other mother's cheek. She she was flailing at it. Blood ran down the cuts on the white face. Not red blood, but a deep, tarry black stuff. Coraline ran for the door. She pulled the key out of the lock. Leave her! Come! She shouted to the cat. It hissed and swiped as its, as its scalpel, sharp claws, scalpel, sharp claws at the other mother's face would rake, would, would in one wild rake, which left a black oozing trickling from several gashes on the mother's nose it sprang towards Coraline quickly she said and the cat ran towards her they both stepped into the dark corridor it was colder in the corridor like stepping down from the cellar on a warm day the cat hesitated for a moment then seeing the other mother was coming towards them ran it ran to Coraline and stopped by her legs Coraline began to pull the door closed it was heavier than she imagined the door could be and Pulling it closed was like trying to close the door against the high wind. She felt something from the other side pull against her. Shut, she thought, and then she said it out loud. Come on, please, and she felt the door begin to move and pull closed to give against the phantom wind. Suddenly, she was aware of the people in the corridor with her. She could not hear them. She could not turn her head to look at them, but she knew without having to look. Help me, please, she said, all of you. The other people in the corridor... Three children, two adults, were somehow too unsubstantial to touch the door.
but their hands closed around hers as they pulled the big iron door, and suddenly she felt strong. Never let up, miss. Hold strong, hold strong, whispered a voice in her hand. Pull, girl, pull, whispered the other. Then a voice that sounded like her mother's, her own mother, her real, wonderful, maddening, infuriating, glorious mother said, well done, Coraline, and that was enough. The door started to slip closed, to slip closed, and easily, easily as anything. No, screamed a voice from beyond the door, and it, and no longer sounded faintly human. It no longer sounded faintly human. Something snatched at Coraline, reaching through the closing gap between the door and the door and the doorpost. Coraline jerked her head out of the way, but the door began to open once more. We're going home," said Coraline. "We're here. Help me." She ducked, and she ducked the snatching fingers. They moved towards her. Then, ghost hands let lent her strength that she no longer possessed. Were the final moments of resistance, as if something were caught in the door. And then, with a crash, the wooden door banged closed. Something dropped from Coraline's head, head height to the floor, and it landed with a sort of a scuttling thump. "Come on," said the cat. "It's not a good place to be in. Quickly." Coraline turned her back to the door and began to run as fast as it was practical through the dark corridor, running along, running her hand along the wall to make sure she didn't bump into anything or to get turned around in the darkness. It was an uphill run, and it seemed to her that it went on longer distance than it could possibly go. The wall she was touching felt warm and yielding now, and then she realized it felt as if it were covered in fine, downy fur. It moved as if it were taking a breath. She snatched her hand away from it winds howled in the dark she was scared that she would bump into something and put her hand in front of the wall put her put her hand out for the wall once more this time what she touched felt hot and wet as if she put her hand into somebody's mouth she pulled it back with a with a small wail her eyes adjusted to the dark she could see as as faintly glowing patches in her head two adults three children she could hear the cat too paddling in the dark in front of her and there was something else, which some suddenly scuttled between her feet, nearly sending Coraline flying. She caught herself before she went down, using her own momentum to keep moving. She knew that if she fell in that corridor, she might never get up again. Whatever corridor, whatever that corridor was, was older by far than her mother, than the other mother. It was deep and slow, and it knew that she was there. In the day, then daylight appeared, and she ran towards it, puffing and wheezing. Almost there, she called encouragingly, but in the light, she discovered the wraths had gone, and she was alone. She did not have time to wonder what had happened to them. Panting for breath, she staggered through the door and slammed it behind her with the loudest, most satisfying bang you can imagine. Coraline locked the door with the key and put it back into her pocket. The black cat was huddled under in the furthest corner of the room, the pink of its tongue showing, its eyes wide. Coraline went over and crouched down to touch it. I'm sorry, she said. I'm sorry I threw you at her, but it was the only way to distract her long enough to get us out. She would never have kept her word, would she? The cat looked up at her and then rested its head on her hand, licking her fingers with its sandpapery tongue. It began to purr. Then we're friends, said Coraline. She sat down on the grandmother's uncomfortable armchair, and the cat sprang up into her lap and made itself comfortable. The lights that came through the the picture of the window was daylight, real golden late afternoon daylight, not a white mist. The sky was robin's egg blue, and Coraline could see the trees beyond the trees, the green hills which faded in the horizon into the purple grays, and the sky had never seemed so sky, and the word world had never seemed so world. Coraline stared at the leaves and the trees and the pattern of the light of the shadow that cracked the bark of the trunk of the beech tree outside the window then she looked down at her and the way that the rich sunlight brushed every hair on the cat's head turning each white whisker to gold nothing she thought had ever been so interesting and she caught up in the interestingness of the world Coraline had barely noticed that she wiggled down and uncurled her cat her curled cat like on the grandmother's uncomfortable armchair nor did she see when she fell into a deep, dreamless sleep. Chapter 12 Her mother shook her gently awake. Coraline, she said, darling, what a funny place to fall asleep. And really, this room is only for the best. We, look, we looked all over the house for you. Coraline stretched, blinked, and blinked. I'm sorry, she said, I fell asleep. I can see that, said her mother. And whatever 
did the cat come from? He was waiting by the front door when I came in. He shot out like a bullet and I opened it. Probably had things to do, said Coraline, then hugged her mother so tightly that her arms began to ache. Her mother hugged Coraline back. Dinner in 15 minutes, said her mother. Don't forget to wash your hands and just look at those pajama bottoms. And your poor knee, what did you do? I tripped, said Coraline. She went to the bedroom and she washed her hands and cleaned up her bloody knee. She put ointment on her cuts and scrapes. Then she went to the bedroom, her real bedroom, her true bedroom, where she had put her hands in her pockets of her dressing gown and she pulled out three marbles and a stone with a hole in it, the black key and an empty snow globe. She shook the snow globe and watched the glittery snow swirl through the water in the f- it to fill the empty world. She put it down and watched the snow fall, covering the place where the little couple had once stood. Coraline took a piece of string from her toy box and she strung the black key on the string. Then she knotted the string and hung it around her neck. There, she said, she put on some clothes and hid the key under the under the t-shirt and it was cold against her skin. The stone went on, went into her pocket. Coraline walked down the hallway to her father's study. He had his back to her, and she just knew, just on seeing him, that his eyes, when he turned, would be her father's kind eyes. She crept over and kissed him on the back of the balding, his balding head. Hello, Coraline, he said. Then he looked around and smiled at her. What was that for? Nothing, said Coraline. I just miss you sometimes, that's all. Oh, good, he said. He put his computer to sleep, stood up, and then for no reason at all, he picked up Coraline, which had, which he had not done in such a long time, not since he had started pointing outward to her that she was much too old to be carried, and he carried her to the kitchen. Dinner that night was pizza, and, and even though it was homemade by her father, so the crust was, alternate, was alternately thick and doughy and raw or too thin and burnt, even though he had put slices of green pepper on it along with little meatballs and all things pineapple chunks, Coraline ate the entire slice that she had been given. Well, she ate everything except the pineapple chunks. And soon enough, it was bedtime. Coraline kept the key around her neck, but she put the gray marbles beneath her pillow. And in the bed that night, Coraline dreamed a dream. She was at a picnic under an old oak tree in a green meadow. The sun was high in the sky, and while there were distant fluffy white clouds in the horizon, the sky above her head was deep and troubled blue. There was a white linen cloth that lay in the grass, which piled with bowls piled high of food. She could see salads and sandwiches and nuts and fruits, jugs of lemonade and water and thick chocolate milk. Coraline sat on one side of the table while the other three children took each side. They were dressed in old in the oddest clothes. The small the smallest of them sitting on sitting on Coraline's left was a boy with a red velvet knee with red velvet knee breeches and a filthy white shirt. His face was dirty and he was piling a plate of boiled new potatoes where and with that look like cold whole crooked trout. This is the finest of picnics, lady, he said. Yes, Coraline said. I think it is. I wonder who organized it. Why, I rather think you did, miss, said the tall girl sitting opposite of Coraline. She wore a brown, rather shapeless dress, and it had a brown bonnet. And she had a brown bonnet on her head, which tied beneath her chin. And we're grateful for it. And for for all than ever words can say. She was eating a slice of bread and jam, definitely cutting the bread from a larger golden brown loaf with a large knife, then spooning the purple jam with a wooden spoon. She had jam all around her mouth. I said the finest of the, this is the finest of the foods I have eaten in centuries, said the girl on Coraline's right. She was a very pale child, dressed in what seemed to be a spider's web, with circles of glitter silver on her blonde hair. Coraline could have sworn that the girl had two wings, like dusty silver butterfly wings not bird wings, coming out of her back. The girl's plate was piled high with pretty flowers. She smiled at Coraline as if it had been a very long time since she had smiled, and she had almost, but not quite, forgotten how. Coraline found herself liking this girl immensely. And then, in the way of dreams, the picnic was done. They were playing in the meadow and running and shouting and tossing glittering ball from one another. Coraline knew it was a dream then because none of them would ever, none of them ever got tired or winded or out of breath. 
She wasn't even sweating. They just laughed and ran in the game and was pl- was that was partly tag and partly piggly in the middle, or piggy in the middle, and part just magnificent romp. Three of them ran along the ground while the pale girl fluttered her little fluttered a little over their heads, swooping down on butterfly wings to grab the ball and swing up to the sky before she tossed it once more to the children. And then without a word about being about being spoken, the girl was done the game was done and the four of them went back to the picnic cloth where lunches and dishes had been cleared away and where there had been four bowls waiting for them, three of ice cream, one of honeysuckle flowers piled high. They ate with relish. Thank you for coming to my party, said Coraline, if it if it is mine. The pleasure is ours, Coraline Jones, said the winged girl, nibbling on another honeysuckle flower. If if there were but something we could do for you to thank you and reward you. I said the boy with the red velvet breeches and dirty face. He put his hand out and held Coraline's hand with his own. It was warm now. It's very fine the thing you did for us, miss, said the tall girl. She now had smeared chocolate ice cream all around her lips. I'm just pleased it's all over, said Coraline. Was it her imagination, or did a shadow cast across the other children at picnic? At the picnic, the wing girl circled. The wing girl, uh, in a circlet in her own, glittering like a star, rested her fingers for a moment on the back of Coraline's hand. It's over and done for us, she said. This is our stage post. From here, we three will set out for uncharted lands. And what comes after, no one alive can say. She stopped talking. There is a but, isn't there? Coraline said. I can feel it like a cloud rain, like a rain cloud. The boy on her left smiled bravely, but his lower lip began to tremble, and he bit his upper lip with his teeth and said nothing. The girl in the brown bonnet stiffened uncomfortably and said, Yes, miss. But I got you all three back, Coraline said. I got mom and dad back. I shut the door. I locked it. What more is there meant to be to do? The boy squeezed Coraline's hand with his. She found herself remembering when it had been she trying to trying to reassure him with when he was little more than a cold memory in the darkness. Well, we can't you give me a clue, Coraline said. Isn't there something you can tell me? The beldam swore by her good right hand, said the tall girl, but she lied. My my governess, said the boy, used to say nobody is ever more than a shoulder than he can, he or she can bear. He shrugged as he said this, as if it had not made his own mind up whether or not it was true. We wish you luck, said the winged girl. Good fortune and wisdom and courage, although you already have shown that you have all three blessings and in, and in abundance. She hates you, blurted out the boy. She hasn't lost anything for so long. Be wise, be brave, be tricky. But that's not fair, Coraline said in her dream angrily. It's not, it's just not fair. It should be over. The boy with the dirty face stood up and hugged Coraline tightly. Take comfort in this, he whispered. Thou art alive. Thou livest. Thou livest. In her dreams, Coraline saw that the sun had set and the stars were twinkling, twinkling in the darkening sky. Coraline stood up in the meadow and she watched the three children, two of them walking, one flying went away from across the grass, silver in the light of the huge moon. The three children came to a wooden bridge over the stream, and they stopped there once more to turn and wave, and Coraline waved back. And what, come after, what came after the darkness? Coraline woke up in the early hours of the morning, convinced that she had heard something moving, but unsure what it was. She waited. Something made a rustling noise outside of her bedroom door, and she wondered if it was a rat. The door rattled, and Coraline got out of bed. Go away, Coraline said sharply. Go away or you'll be sorry. There was a pause, and then whatever it was scuttled away down the hall. There was something cold and irregular about the footsteps. If they were footsteps, Coraline found herself wondering if it was perhaps a rat with an extra long leg. Oh, with an extra leg. Is It isn't over, is it? She said to herself. Then she opened the bedroom door. The gray pre-dawn light showed her the whole corridor completely deserted. When she went towards the front door, sparing a hasty glance back at the wardrobe, the door mirror, the wardrobe mirror hanging on the wall, 
at the other end of the hallway, seeing nothing but her own pale face staring back at her, looking sleep sleepy and serious. Gentle, reassuring snores came from her parents' bedrooms, but the door was closed. All the doors in the corridors were closed, whatever the scuttling sound was. It had to be here somewhere. Coraline opened the front door and looked at the gray sky. She wondered how long it would be until the sun came up, wondered whether her dream had been true, had a truth had been a true thing while knowing in her heart that it had been something she had taken to be a part of the shadows under her under the hall couch detached itself from beneath the couch and made a mad scrambling dash on its white legs heading towards the front door Coraline's mouth dropped open in horror as she stepped out of the way as the thing clicked and scuttled past her out of the house running like a running crab-like in its too many tapping clicking on scurrying feet she knew what it was and she knew what it was after she had seen too many times in the last few days reaching and clutching for the snatching and popping blackberry black beetles obediently into the other mother's mouth five-footed crimson nails of the color the color of bone it was the other mother's right hand it wanted the black key oh my gosh it's like a thing from adam's family but creepier chapter 12 Coraline's parents never seemed to remember anything about the time in the snow globe, or at least they never said anything about it, and Coraline never mentioned it to them. Sometimes she wondered whether it had been noticed that they had been lost two days in the real world and came to the eventual conclusion that they had not. Then, again, there are some people who keep track of everyday hour, and there are some people who don't, and Coraline's parents were solidly in the second camp. Coraline had placed the marbles beneath her pillow before she went to sleep the first night in her own bedroom once more. She went back to the bed after she saw the mother's hand, although there was not much time left for sleeping, and she rested her head back on the pillow. Something something scrunched gently as she did. She sat up and lifted the pillow. The fragments of the glass marbles that she saw looked like remnants of eggshells once one finds beneath a tree in springtime like empty robin's eggs or even more delicate wren's eggs perhaps whatever had been inside the glass spheres had gone Coraline thought that the three children thought of the three children waving goodbye in the moonlight waving before they could cross the silver stream she gathered up the eggshells thin fragments with care and placed them in a small blue box which had once held a bracelet that resembled her one that her grandmother had given her when she was a little girl (sighs) the bracelet was long lost but the box remained miss bink and miss forcible came back from visiting miss bink's niece and Coraline went down to their flat for tea it was a monday on wednesday Coraline would go back to school a whole new school year would begin miss forcible insisted on reading Coraline's tea leaves well Looks like everything's mostly reshaped in the Bristol fashion, lovey, said Miss Forcible. Sorry, Coraline said. Everything is coming up roses, said Miss Forcible. Well, almost everything. I'm not sure what that is, she said. She pointed to a clump of tea leaves sticking to the side of the cup. Miss Spink tutted and reached for the cup. Honestly, Miriam, give it here. Let me see. She blinked through her thick spectacles. Oh, dear, no, I have no idea what that signifies. It almost looks like a hand. Coraline looked. The clump of leaves did look like a little hand reaching for something. Coraline, oh, Hamish, the Scottish dog, was under Miss Forcible's chair, and he wouldn't come out. I think he's got some sort of fright, said Miss Spink. He has a deep gash on the side, poor dear. We'll take him to the vet later in the afternoon. I wish that we could have known this. I wish that we, I wish I knew what could have done this. Something Coraline knew would have to be done. That was the final week of the holidays, whether it was magnificent, as if the summer itself were trying to make up for the miserable weather that it had been giving by them, that it had having by giving them some bright and glorious days before it ended. The crazy man upstairs called down to Coraline when he saw her coming out of Miss Spink and Miss Forcible's flat. Hey, hi, you, Caroline. He shouted from over the over the rails. It's Coraline, she said. How are the mice? Something has frightened them, said the old man, scratching his mustache. I think there must be a weasel in the house. Something is about. I heard it last night. On my, In my country, we, we would have to put a trap for it, maybe put down a little meat or hamburger, and then, it would, then a creature would come to feast, but then bam, it would be caught 
and never bother us more. The mice are so scared that they will not even pick up their little musical instruments. I don't think it, I don't think it wants meat, said Coraline as she put her hand up and touched the black key that hung around her neck. Then she went inside. She bathed herself and kept the key around her neck the whole time until she was in the bath. She never took it off anymore. Something scratched at the bottom of the door after she went to bed. Coraline was almost asleep, but she slipped out of bed and pulled open the curtains. A white hand with crimson fingernails leapt from the window ledge into the drain pipe and was immediately out of sight. There were deep gouges in the glass on the other side of the window. Coraline slept uneasily that night, waking from time to time to plot and plan and ponder, then falling back into sleep, never quite concerned where her pondering ended that the, and where the dreams began, one ear always open for the sound of something scratching at her window pane or at her bedroom door. In the morning, Coraline said to her mother, I'm going to go have a picnic with my dolls today. Can I borrow a sheet, an old one, one that you don't need any longer as a tablecloth? I don't think we had one of those, said her mother. She opened the kitchen drawers and held out a napkin and a tablecloth, and she prodded at it. Hold on, will this do? It was folded up, disposable paper taper, paper tablecloth covered with white, with red flowers left over from a picnic that they had been on several years ago. That's perfect, said Coraline. I don't think you ever played with, I didn't think you played with dolls anymore, said Mrs. Jones. I don't, admitted Caroline. Their protective color act, their protective color action. Well, be back in time for lunch, said her mother. Have a good time. Coraline filled the cardboard box with dolls and several plastic dolls' teacups. She filled the jug with water and she went outside. She walked down to the road and as if she were going to the shops. Before she reached the supermarket, she cut across the fence into some wasteland along the old drive, then crawled under the hedge that she had gone, that she had to go under in two journeys in order not to spill the water from the jug. It was long and a roundabout loop, looping journey, but at the end of it, Coraline was satisfied that she had not been followed. She came out from behind the dilapidated old tennis courts. She crossed over to it, to the meadow where a long grass had swayed. She found the planks on the edge of a meadow were astonishingly heavy, almost too heavy for a girl to lift, using all of her strength, but she managed. I don't have any choice. She pulled out the planks out of the way, one by one, grunting and sweating with effort, revealing a deep round brick hole lined in the ground it smelled of damp and dark the bricks were greenish and slippery she spread the tablecloth and laid carefully over the top of the well she put a pl she put a plastic doll's cap every a cup every foot or so at the edge of the well and so she weighed each cup down with the water from the jug she put the doll in the grass behind beside each cup making it look like the doll's tea party, as much as the doll's tea party as she could. And then she retraced her steps back under the edge, under the hedge along the dusty yellow drive around the back of the shops, back to her house. She reached up and took the key from around her neck and she dangled it from a string as if the key were just something she played with. Then she knocked at Miss Spink and Miss Forcible's flat. The Miss Spink opened the door. Hello, dear. I don't want to come in, said Coraline. I just want to find out how Hamish is doing. Mrs. Mrs. Spink sighed. The vet said Hamish is, Hamish is a very brave little soldier, and luckily the cut didn't seem to be infected. We cannot imagine how he could have done it, said the, the vet said some animals he thinks have no idea of what, or that some animal did it, but he has no idea of what. Mr. Bobo, Mr. Bobo says he thinks it might have been a weasel. Mr. Bobo? The man in the flat upstairs, Mr. Bobo. The fine, fine old curious circus man family, I believe. Roman or Slovian or Livovian. One of those countries. Bless me, I can never remember them anyways. I, it had never occurred to Coraline that the crazy old man upstairs actually had a name, she realized. If she'd known his name was Mr. Bobo, she would have said it if she had a chance. How often do you get to see a man like, how often do you get to say a name like Mr. Bobo out loud? It had never, oh, 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 said Coraline, Mr. Mister Bobo, right, well, she said a little louder, I'm going to go play with all my dolls now, over by the tennis courts around the back. That's nice, my dear, said Mrs. Spunk, and then she added, 
confidentially, confidentially, make sure you keep an eye out for the old well. Mr. Lovett, who was here before your time, said that he thought it might go down for half a mile or more. Coraline hoped that the hand had not heard it this time, so she changed the subject. This key, Coraline said, oh, it's just a key from our old house. It's part of my game. That's why I'm carrying it around with me on a piece of string. Well, goodbye now. What an extraordinary child, said Mrs. Spink to herself as she closed the door. Coraline ambled across the meadow towards the old tennis courts, dangling and swinging the black key on its string as she walked. Several times she thought she saw something the color of bone in the undergrowth, but it was keeping pace with her. About thirty feet away, she tried to whistle, but nothing happened, and she sang so loud instead a song her father had made up for when he was, she was a little baby and which had made her laugh. It went, Oh, my twitchy, twitchy girl, I think you are so nice. I give you a bowl of porridge, and I give you a bowl of rice. Cream. I give you lots of kisses. I give you lots of hugs, but never give you sandwiches with bugs, with bugs in. It was... It was what she sang. It was what she sang as she sauntered through the woods, and her voice hardly trembled at all. The doll's tea party was where she had left it. She was relieved that not even that it was not a windy day, for everything was still in its place. Every water-filled plastic cup weighing down the paper tablecloth as if it was meant to. She breathed a sigh of relief. Now was the hardest part. Hello, dolls," she said brightly. "It's tea time." She walked close to the paper tablecloth. I brought the my, I brought the lucky key, she said to the dolls, to make sure we have a good picnic. And then, as carefully as she could, she leaned over and gently placed the key on the tablecloth. She was still holding, holding on the string. She held her breath, hoping that cups of water at the edge of the water's well would weigh down the cloth, just letting letting it take the weight of the key without collapsing into the well. The key sat in the middle of the paper picnic cloth. Coraline let go of the string and took a step back. Now was again now it was all up to the hand. She turned to the dolls. Who would like a piece of cherry cake? she asked. Jeremiah, Pinky, Primrose. She each served a doll a plate a slice of invisible cake on an invisible plate, chattering happily as she did so. The corner, from the corner of her eye, she saw something bone white scamper from one tree trunk to another, closer and closer. She forced herself not to look. Jer- Jemima, Coraline said, "What a bad girl you are! You've dropped your cake. Now I have to go over and get you a whole new slice." As she walked around the tea party until she could sit on the other side of it, of it, to the hand, she pretended to clean up the spilled cake and to get Jemima another piece. Then a skittering, chittering rush came in. The hand running high on its fingertips scrabbled through the tall grass and up to the up a street a tree stump. <sighs> Excuse me. <sighs> and then it made a triumphant nail clicking leap and leapt into the center of the paper, cl- paper tablecloth. Time slowed for Coraline. The white fingers closed around the black key. And then the weight of it and the momentum of the hand and the plastic dolls, dolls' cups flying and the paper cloth and the key and the other mother's right hand went tumbling down the darkness in the well. Coraline counted slowly under her breath. She got, she got up to 40 before she heard a muffled splash coming from the long, long way below. Something had once told her that if you look up from the sky, Look up at the sky from the bottom of the mine of a shaft. Even in the brightest daylight, you'll see night skies and stars. Coraline wondered if the hand could see stars from where it was. She hauled the heavy planks back into the well, covering it as carefully as she could. She didn't want anything to fall in. She didn't want anything to get over, ever to get out. Then she put her dolls. She, then she put her dolls and the cups back into the cardboard box that she had carried them out in. Something caught her eye when she was done, and she straightened up in time to see the black cat stalking towards her, its tail held high and curling at the tip like a question mark. It was the first time that she had seen the cat in several days since they had returned together from the other mother's place. The cat walked over to her and jumped onto the plank that covered the well, then slowly winked at her with one eye. 
It sprang down into the long grass in front of her and rolled over onto its back, wiggling ecstatically. Coraline scratched and tickled the fur on its belly, and the cat purred contentedly. It had, when it had enough, it rolled over onto its front once more and walked back towards the tennis courts, like a tiny patch of midnight in the sun. In the midday sun, Coraline went back to the house. Mister Bobo was waiting for the driveway, and he clapped, cl- clapped her on the shoulder. The mice tell me that it is all good. He said, "They say that you are a savior, Coraline." Caroline, it's Coraline, Mr. Bobo, said Coraline, not Caroline, Coraline. Coraline, said Mr. Bobo, repeating himself, repeating the name to himself with wonderment and respect. Very good, Coraline. The mice say that I must tell you that as soon as they are ready to perform in public, you will come up and watch them as their first audience of all. They will play Tumpty, Tumpty Umpty Doodly Oodly, and the dance will do a thousand tricks. That is what they say. I would like that very much, Coraline said, when they're ready. She knocked at Miss Spink and Miss Forcible's door. Miss Spink let her in, and Coraline went into their parlor. She put her box of dolls on the floor. Then she, then she put her hand into her pocket and pulled out the stone with a hole in it. Here you go, she said. I don't need it anymore. I'm very grateful. I think it may have saved my life and saved some other people's death. She gave them both a tight hug, and her arms could barely stretch out around Miss Fink, and Miss Forcible smelled like the raw garlic she had been cutting. Then Coraline picked up her box of dolls and went out. What an extraordinary child, Mrs. Fink said. No one had hugged her like that since she had retired from the theater. That night, Coraline lay in bed, all bathed, teeth cleaned, with her eyes open, staring at the ceiling. It was warm enough now that her hand now that the hand was gone and she opened her bedroom window. She had insisted that her father to her father that the curtains not be entirely closed. Her new school clothes were laid out carefully on her chair for her to put on when she woke. Normally on the night before the first day of term, Coraline was apprehensive and nervous, but she realized that there was nothing left about nothing left about school that she could be scared of anymore. She fancied that she could hear sweet music in the night air the kind of music that could only be played by the tiniest silver trombones and trumpets and bassoons and piscolors and tubas and deli- so delicate and small that their keys could only be pressed by teen- teeny little pink fingers of white mice Coraline imagined that she was back in her dream and the two girls and the boy under the oak tr- under the oak tree in the meadow and she smiled as the first stars came out, Coraline finally allowed herself to drift asleep while the gentle stars, uh, the gentle music upstairs of the mouse circus spilled into the warm evening air, telling the world that summer was almost done. Ooh, Sabuki. That's it. And Peyton fell back asleep as usual. As usual. <laughs>